I want to take a break from the podcast right now and I want to give you a gift. I don't want to do that to thank you for being a listener. I put my heart and soul into this podcast. I love interviewing today's experts, researchers, MDs, psychologists, sleep trainers, you name it. I just, I hope you feel inspired to take care of yourselves and your families. And I just want to thank you for, for being a listener and hanging out with me. So the code podcast10 is going to give you a one-time $10 off code at kellylevesque.com, your next order of protein powder. You can either use that on my grass-fed beef isolate protein or on my new vegan chocho bean protein. Now, here's what I love about my protein powders. It's three ingredients or less. So we don't use fillers, emulsifiers, no fortified vitamins or minerals. It's easy to digest and naturally made without any enzymes or chemicals like hexane. So it's three ingredients. With my grass-fed beef isolate, that's 100% grass-fed beef, and it's made in the way that you would make bone broth. So just heat and water. And we dehydrate it, that end product to get that collagen-rich protein powder that your whole family can drink. It can be added to coffees, to smoothies, and you can get it in vanilla, chocolate, and unflavored. I wanna point out that my vanilla and chocolate is made with organic vanilla bean, organic cacao, and the only sweetener used is organic monk fruit. We don't use any maltodextrin. Our monk fruit is 100% ground monk fruit, and it's organic. And with my vegan line, I'm so excited to have launched this and to have it out into the world. It's a regenerative bean from South America called the chocho bean. And the chocho bean is the most superior plant-based protein powder you can get your hands on because not only is it a complete protein, but the process is made with heat and water only. They're crushed and soaked, and what that end product results in is an anti-nutrient-free protein powder. So you're not gonna have any lectins, phytates, or oxalates in your protein powder. Makes it super easy to digest, and it's really, really delicious and robust in cooking as well. So I love it if I want a thicker smoothie or a smoothie bowl, and I also love it in my baked goods, from my cookies to my muffins, pancakes and breads. It's the perfect protein addition. So if you wanna give either of these proteins a try or you've already been purchasing these proteins and wanna take advantage of this special deal, the code PODCAST10 is gonna get you $10 off for being a listener here at the Be Well by Kelly podcast. So head to kellylevesque.com or bewellbykelly.com Put the protein you'd like to purchase in your cart and use the code PODCAST10 for $10 off. Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in. One of Forbes 30 Under 30, British wellness entrepreneur, TV host, and author, Poppy Jamie, is on a mission to empower people to look after their minds and their health. She founded a mental well-being app called Happy Not Perfect that supports over 90 million users worldwide and focuses on teachers, parents, and students. She's dedicated to creating accessible tools to help the stress and anxiety levels of young people. Her new book, Happy Not Perfect, Upgrade Your Mind, Challenge Your Thoughts, and Free Yourself from Anxiety, encourages readers to challenge their core beliefs and outlook to turn stiff, rigid thoughts into flexible and compassionate ones. Her readers will learn the Flex Method, a four-step mindset strategy that prioritizes love, forgiveness, optimism, and growth. And that's what we all want. So let's welcome Poppy Jamie to the show. Poppy, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you. We have known each other for years now, introduced through the founders of Click Media, who what wear birdie in my domain back in the day. And I remember you so vividly because we were in a room of women and you took everybody through what felt like, you know, a five minute breathwork session about mindset and sort of like set the tone for this meeting we had there. And I just, your aura and vibe has been something I've loved and just who you are and what you like the energy that you bring into a room. It's just, you're magnetic. And I'm so excited about this book that you've just put out because people need your energy. They need your, it just, your vibes and they need to be happy, not perfect. And you're helping people do that. So thank you for being here. Thank you for being a constant of joy and, um, and for lending me your time. Oh my gosh. That is the nicest introduction. And it's so true. We go back years. I feel the world 
God, it must be like seven, eight years maybe now. The world is such a different place. And I remember you so clearly too, but I totally forgot I even did a breathwork thing. So, oh gosh, it is so nice to reconnect with people because you realize how all of our lives are so interconnected and you can have years not chatting to someone and then they kind of connect again and we're all ziggling, zigzagging throughout it. So thank you. I really appreciate what you just said and right back at you. Well, have you always been this beacon of joy? Can we start, can we start from the beginning of your journey and what led you to sort of being on this quest and mission to support people to, to be happy and not perfect, to upgrade their mind, to free themselves from anxiety and like challenge their everyday thoughts. Like, were you always positive or how did you come to this calling? Well, great question. Absolutely not. (laughs) To put it simply, absolutely not. And I think really when I think about the journey, it started in childhood, like I think everybody's seeds start. And I had a father who had chronic anxiety and depression and a mother who was a psychotherapist. So I had this really bizarre childhood of understanding the impact of mental health, not only on the person, but also how contagious it is within a family and a community. Because as a young child, being hypersensitive of anyone who's also a highly sensitive person, you'll also relate. Other people's emotions are so palpable. And um, I remember them so clearly. And then I also remember how incredible different intervention tactics and tools could be in changing someone how, how someone felt. So my father was like meditating 25 years ago. And my mother was talking about, you know, when she was doing her psychotherapy, she was Reiki healing and we're talking about energy. And at this point, the world thought they were crazy. They were kind of these hippies, like in middle England that certainly did not appreciate any of this sort of stuff. You know, I grew up in a very English conditioning, which is don't talk about your feelings, always say you're fine, always have a smile on your face, (laughs) be be polite. And so that kind of was like the origin. And I guess, and I can go back to some of the things that I guess happened when I was little to then lead to my kind of, I guess, faulty coping strategies. But really it was like my mid twenties when suddenly everything just collapsed and I could no longer keep up the smiling face of, yeah, I'm good. Everything's fine. I'm trying to be this very polite British girl that is, has, feels that they have to fit in. They, they, they have to be happy in inverted commas. And my body collapsed. I found myself in hospital with such chronic burnout. My digestion had totally stopped. My body was swollen. My digestion had stopped. And I was in so much pain that I had no idea what happened to me. And uh, after test, after test, I then got told that this was chronic stress, which felt like, oh, come on, it needs to be more than that. Surely it's more than just stressed. And it it wasn't. And it took, I mean, a year of recovery. But in that year, and at the time I was hosting a television show, or this was like slightly before I was hosting this television show on Snapchat, the first ever TV show that ever kind of launched on Snapchat. And I remember having these like millions of people watching and the messages I'd received from these audience members were exactly how I was feeling too, which was like, I'm feeling really overwhelmed. I'm feeling stressed. I'm like, why is that boy not text me back? Is it because I'm not good enough? Do I need to be more? And it was literally like seeing my own fears and negative thoughts being echoed back at me. And in that moment I realized, okay, like what can I do? Because if I've got myself into this mess, I need to get myself out of this mess. And also what can I create so that everybody else also can have a route out of what sometimes feels for anyone who's gone through those periods, like real chronic anxiety and stress, what feels like it's never going to end. And that was, and that was really kind of the, the route from like absolutely like rock bottom to, to finding a place where I get filled, I'm filled with joy when I wake up. Wow. It's interesting because you said you used like faulty coping strategies to deal with this and finally hit rock bottom being diagnosed with chronic stress. 
I'm assuming adrenal fatigue, elevated yeah. cortisol, like <laughs> yeah. lack of motivation, yep. all of the things that come with that. I totally understand that you wanted a bigger diagnosis than that, but what that actually taught you to do was to change your lifestyle and to stop using these faulty coping strategies. What do you see people using as coping strategies for stress that really aren't getting to the root of the problem? And what do we need to start thinking about when it comes to creating coping mechanisms that work for a heavy load of stress? So often I find that when we're super stressed, we think that we have got to try harder. We meet force with force. And so for example, when I was really stressed, I was like, okay, I need to get to the gym and do really heavy exercise. I need to sweat this out. And that was just cortisol led with more cortisol, led with more intensity, led with more intensity. And so then I'd think, okay, you know what? It is really stressful. It's fine. I'm just going to work really hard tonight and get all my emails done. And then I'm going to feel less stressed. So, uh, okay. So it means I ended up thinking that more work would reduce my stress because for some reason I had this illusion of there was a finish line somewhere, but like we all know in life, the finish line doesn't necessarily come. So we kind of even get to the goal that we were stressing out about And the goal doesn't give us the feeling we thought it was going to give us. So for me, I was like, when I've done that, I'm going to feel good enough. I'm going to feel not insecure anymore. I'm going to feel, be confident. And as we know, external like validation or external achievement doesn't change anything internally. Only internal work can fix internal problems. And so I think coping strategies for me was just doing more, thinking it was going to fix more. And actually the solution lied in what I was terrified to do, which was do less. It's exactly right. We always want to just get out there and get ahead and clear our inbox and get something done. And you're just a rat in a wheel with no finish line, actually. So without doing more and deciding to do less, how do you action plan that? Like, how do you change your mindset? Cause your book upgrade your mind, challenge your thoughts, free yourself from anxiety. How do we upgrade? How do we challenge those thoughts of like, let's go to the gym. Let's clear the inbox. Let's keep going. Let's push harder. We all want to slow down, but it's like this, there's a monkey on our back wanting us to do more. How do we start to, to change? So first of all, what I would say is that we are all swimming in a cultural soup of (laughs) more. So how we're conditioned, and especially like if you look at the history of America and the American dream, it is so about kind of just like work harder and you can do it, work harder and you can do it. And there is this, and I got conditioned with work so hard it hurts and then you kind of know that you you can almost relax after you've kind of got to that peak. You've tried your best. But I think that then we attach like hard work or success equaling kind of like pain or discomfort. And so I think actually this is this the first step is to unlearn that belief system that we need to work, be working really hard to achieve what we want to achieve. And so I think it comes when we peel that back, first of all, we then really have to think to ourselves, what do we even want? Mm -hmm. Because what I found is that I was on a very high speed train to a destination I thought I wanted, but actually that destination would have given me nothing of what I wanted. And so what actually does success mean to you? Because is it more money? truly is there more money? And actually when we figure that out for ourselves, and there's a great exercise to kind of like help you really like get to the bottom of like what success really means to you. And for most people and a lot of people I work with in workshops, all they really want is to find that place of joy, but they think it's, they think to get there is this road of kind of like burnout. But actually, ironically, when people are on their deathbeds, it's spending time with family. It's kind of 
doing those love-based activities that are not necessarily correlated to what is making us sick. And so it's, but as I said, um, David Foster Wallace, I'm not sure if anyone's familiar with him, but he's an, an amazing writer and author. And he gave this commencement speech. And uh, he talks about these two fishes, these two little fishes, and they're swimming in the water and they meet a big fish. And the big fish goes, hi guys, how's the water? And they go, what's water? And he said, ah, water is the culture that we're all swimming in all the time. So I think first of all, it's just to recognize that it's no one's fault that we are in this rat race. It is the culture that we are constantly swimming in. And I think second of all, it's looking at really the the, the tips and tools I put into the flexible thinking practice. And it really begins by taking a pause. I love that. I want to go through the flex method and your four-step mindset strategy for prioritizing love, forgiveness, optimism, and growth. But taking that pause and realizing what our water is, is so important because I don't want more money. I don't want a big house that I have to end up cleaning or dealing with maintenance, the maintenance of like, I want to go to yoga. I want to have the flexibility to make really fun, creative, healthy meals for my family and get really good at cooking. Cause I'm a home chef. Not a, I'm not a good chef, (laughs) you know, and I would love that. So so how do we start to incorporate your flex method and what does it make up? I know it makes up the four C's, but I'd love for you to share that with our audience because I thought that was phenomenal in your book. So just to like, just to comment on that point, we never think about the opportunity cost of what we want. So if you, as you just said, okay, if a bigger house means I'm never going to see my children, why do I want a bigger house? Or if this means that, then you know, and often nothing is either or, right? Everything is just some blurry kind of middle line. But I think it's like when we expand our awareness and we have a flexible mindset, which is the whole point of the book, we start to notice other things that may light us up in a much more exciting and true way uh, and not just be fitting into cultural norms and expectations that are usually put on us by other people, not even ourselves. So when it goes to the flex, the flex is based, as you said, on the four C's, connection, curiosity, choice, and commitment. And so connection is like, the most important thing. And if you do none of the other C's, connection is what I do every single morning when I wake up. And that is really that connecting the I and the self, connecting our body and our brain back together. Because often when we're stressed, our body goes one way, our, our, our brain goes the other, and we're out of alignment and we wonder why we're feeling overwhelmed. So connection is about, first of all, I use a technique called the diffusion technique, which is from acceptance commitment therapy. And it's just a really simple sentence. Like as soon as I wake up, I say, okay, today my mind feels and I label how I feel. And just by saying that it's so powerful and yet so simple. And it's just like mental when you break it down. Well, by saying today, my mind, you're reminding yourself that it's today. Emotions are just temporary. My mind you are not your emotion. You're able to disidentify yourself from the emotion, which is so important. Your soul is full of joy and love. We are not anxious or angry or worried people. They are just emotions. They're just like clouds that come into our sky now and again. And then you label the emotion. And when we start to label the emotion, that's when we join up our brain. We kind of link all the parts of our brain together because we activate the wise part of our brain, our prefrontal cortex, because we start to actually think rather than like move into action too quickly. And, uh, and then I connect and upgrade my energy through a five minute dance to whatever song I'm listening to at the moment, some cheesy 70s song usually. And it's literally like dancing, like no one's watching. And immediately I've connected and upgraded because I often think we, we can't think our way out of problems. If you've ever tried to think your way out of a problem, usually you sit in a seat and you're typing on your emails and you, you, you start ruminating and the thought goes round and round and round. Our emotional center of the brain becomes overactivated. Our shoulders hunch up and we are in the fight and flight mode. And we are playing, I like to say our brain has two radio stations. We are on stressed, stressed FM. I think in the States, you guys call it like W stressed. Yeah. Like st- <laughs> and then, but when we diffuse and connect with ourselves, 
we turn on the prefrontal cortex and we can move into W, relax. And I talk about the two radio stations in my book, but enables us to activate that wise part of our brain and take that pause to go, what do I truly want to do today? What is really going to let my light my soul up today? And we reclaim our power through the, that connection step. And then we move on to curiosity, which is all about making sure that we bring that beginner's mind to every single day. We bring that childlike mind. If you look at children, they've yet to learn their fears. They've yet to learn their prejudices. They've, let to, they've yet to learn fearful patterns. And so getting into the habit of rather than jumping to conclusions, like a stiff mindset of, oh my God, I've been here before. Things must turn out like this. Or, oh, do they mean this? And that might mean that, or like paralysis by analysis or fortune telling. Being curious just allows us to say, huh, that happened. Interesting. I'm going to wait for more information before I decide what I feel or think about this. And when you allow ourselves that pause to not jump to the conclusion that our mind wants us to jump to, we then allow ourselves to collect more data. We allow ourselves that flexible mindset to start stretching open where we notice the blind spot. And we notice maybe where a confirmation bias is playing in, like into our lives. And just, I'm sure everyone knows what confirmation bias is, but obviously we have, we learn a filter at a young age and then our brain likes to use this filter as we go through our life. But using that curiosity step, we challenge the filter. Did they really mean that? Do I, am I thinking that they meant that or actually were they just really busy? And we avoid so much upset. Like we start to not being it. We don't have to over-personalize everything, which is something I'm so guilty of doing. And we, again, stay in our power. And then we move on to choice and we get to choose. Am I going to be kind to myself today? I may not have the choice to be happy today because sometimes life really throws a shit sandwich. Life really throws us a challenging time. But we always have the choice to be kind. And then lastly, how do I commit to how I want to be in the world? So I want people to live in their wildest self. And in the book, I talk about your wildest self being the most unconditioned version of yourself the self that is so fully expressed, the self that is so self-accepting and so self-appreciating that appreciates that you may, be a, you may be a triangle and other people might be a square and that's totally okay. But for us to live with undeniable self-trust and self-appreciation, that's what really the flexible mindset is about. It's like bringing us to a mindset that totally honors the true self. I love that. Can you walk me through a day using the flex mindset and method? Like, I love the idea of waking up and connecting to your emotion and then dancing the night away or dancing the morning away, if you will. Can you give a tangible example of how you would use curiosity, choice, and commitment to continue to be flexible throughout the rest of the day? Um, Example of... We've received an email that is like deeply triggering. Like it's uh, for, for whatever reasons, like a super triggering email or a really triggering text. So our brain wants us to react. We can feel the emotion rising. I can't believe they said that. Or like, I didn't mean that. Like they've mis- misconstrued that. I need to clear myself. And so before we look, all our conditioning uh, takes control and our monkey mind like owns the show we immediately go, okay, how can I stay flexible right now? Connect. Okay. Right today or right now, my mind feels a bit stressed. Okay. I'm going to go for a 20 minute walk before I reply, because I'm going to just reconnect my mind and my body. I can't think my way out of a problem. I've got to move my way out of a problem. I move, I come back in 20 minutes And that was that I was so inspired by Einstein that says no problem can be solved from the same consciousness that created it. And so I've created a new consciousness. I'm relooking at that email that's super triggering and that text message. And then I'm like, okay, let's get into curiosity. And curiosity, like one of the things that really helped me to stay, helps me to stay curious is Byron Katie's four questions. So I'm like, is this true? This person wants to upset me. 
Well, yes, I think it is true. Second question, can I be 100% sure this person wants to upset me? Well, I can't look into that person's mind, so I guess I can't be 100% sure. Question three, how does this thought make me feel? Well, the thought of this email is like they want to upset me is making me feel upset, angry, hurt, vulnerable, embarrassed, shameful. Fourth question, who would I be without this thought? Well, I'd be happy, feeling good. I would be totally have, like I'd have loads of energy to go about my day. I'd be feeling positive. I'd be feeling optimistic. Okay, so certainly I've realized that the root of my suffering lies within my thoughts I don't actually know are 100% true. So staying curious has just shown me that actually there's no point jumping to conclusion because I actually don't truly know. Step three, compassion. How can I choose compassion? Well, what would I advise a friend experiencing what I am now? Hmm. Okay. So by asking this question, what I've done is rather than consult my emotional brain, I've actually asked my wise brain to answer the question. What would I advise a friend experiencing what I am now? Well, I would say, Hey, relax. That person's probably busy. You're absolutely epic. You're incredible. I wouldn't even know why they'd send a message like that. Okay. And then step four, how would my very best, most wildest self want to respond to this situation? Hmm. Well, should be calm, should be totally self-accepting. She would know her power and value and worth. Okay, great. No reactive reply needed. I'm going to go about my day. And suddenly that hot emotional moment has been diffused. I flexed it. And I can now commit to finding the gift in the situation, which is like, there's so many people in our life that are sent to us, sent to us to show us where we're not free, where we need to grow, when we maybe need to challenge our perspective on things. Okay. This was a challenging, but growing moment. I feel good. Let's move on. And so I use the flex in so many different scenarios. Wow. I feel like if I approached every single situation or problem in this way, nothing would be a problem. You would just handle it. You'd feel confident and powerful and in your own body. So I guess my question is, how do you make the rubber like really hit the road here? Because in theory, I'm like, this sounds amazing. I'm making the connection. I'm being curious about the person. I'm making a choice. And then I'm using that wilder self and, and making a commitment on how am I going to, how am I going to respond to this? And I'm responding in such a beautiful way. What reminders or tools do you use to actually put this flex method into practice? I think that, and I'm sure we can like have a bit of a laugh on like all the situations where we've been reactive. Like I am naturally quite probably because I'm quite emotional and like sensitive. I spent so many years being so reactive, like at work with my friends, immediately taking everything so personally and life just became so exhausting. So I think that how I remember is that a because I really don't want to be that person anymore. Like you've got to kind of have a desire to be like, yeah, you know what? I want to be my best self. Like I want to diffuse the drama, not create the drama. And then always really try to practice the power of pause because we just have that split second. And Viktor Frankl, who wrote the book, Man's Search for Meaning, was such an inspiration for me in all of this research because he always says like the human power lies in that space between like our kind of our reaction and our response. And in that space lies our power station. Often they're always thinking about what they want in the future, but really where our manifestation power lies is in the present on how we're choosing to respond to the challenges that life throws. And that was underpinned this like happy, not perfect message because life isn't going to be perfect. We're always going to be thrown things that don't go according to plan. And it's in those moments 
where kind of our growth and our power lies. If everything was perfect and wonderful, we'd all be so bored. We'd all be the same. So in a way, it's the, the, it's the opportunity and the challenge is really where the flex method kind of thrives. I love that you're giving us the tools to, to deal with those challenges and to grow through them. And you're exactly right. Nothing's going to go the way that you expect always 24 seven and being prepared for those moments with something like the flex methods. It seems like simple, but it's, I don't know that a single listener tuning in wouldn't want to diffuse the drama and make things easier and grow through these challenges. One word that you just mentioned was manifestation. And it's something you've shared about being a a skeptic of in the past, but you've now turned into a believer. Can you talk about how manifestation can elevate our life, what your personal experience with manifestation has been and how, how we can all manifest our future? Yeah, absolutely. I think the, in the, in the past reason why I've been a bit of a skeptic of it is because I think that there's a lot of talk around the wishful thinking in terms of like, yes, if you just think of yourself driving that car, then, you know, it will happen. And the power of manifestation is really in the action and the repetition of manifesting. Manifesting is like a habit of like, like training our brain, like the first step, obviously really important to identify what we actually want. Like put, you know, set the direction of your plane. But Truly, the power of that is to really alert our subconscious to help recognize when there are opportunities that are kind of hiding or a little bit hidden for us to go, oh my God, that could be the next clue in my next step. But that really requires us to be present. So we're even aware of the opportunities that are going to help us manifest the amazing lives that we all deserve and are all capable of living. And the other thing with manifestation that was, and in the, in the, in the last chapter of the book, I write a lot about this. It's called flex the future, but again, it really links into the first points we were saying in this podcast, really, truly think what you actually want. Just saying like, okay, I want a really big house, but, but why? Because often I think that we want, we dream up these very, very particular goals or very, very particular places, but actually life has got a bigger and better plan. So manifesting is brilliant, have the goal, but then when we're flexible about our goals, it means that we don't get into the rat race of what I was in, where like I I was manifesting all right, I was achieving, I was setting up the companies, I was having TV shows, but I wasn't ever getting the feeling that I truly wanted. And so the flexible way of manifesting is, okay, why do you want something? What is it that, because you're, you're really trying to get a feeling like the house, the car, like they, they don't really matter. They're all fluff. What we true, what if we were being honest with each other, it's like, why do I want that? Oh, because it would make me feel good. But I'm like, well, if we work on feeling good now, we're in our highest vibrational energy. And in the book, I talk about Dr. R. Hawkins and the scale of consciousness and actually the research that was done on, on the different energetic frequencies of each emotion. But when we focus on being in a present state of like compassion and openness and optimism uh, and curiosity, we are going to like supercharge our ability to create the future self we want to be right now. And the, the the future life that we want to create, but right now. That is so powerful because it is, it's so easy to get sucked into wanting to produce your TV shows, wanting to build your companies, wanting to sort of be sucked into this rat race. How did you take a step back and really change your vibrations on a day-to-day level kind of to get what you want now in the moment that you're talking about and what changed for you in regards to what you wanted? What did you realize? So cut back to when I'm in hospital and I was just feeling like dreadful. Not only was I, and you know, as, as you mentioned at the beginning, you were like, okay, adrenal fatigue or the physical things, because my body was the first one to tell me that, yo, I'm on the, the wrong track. 
I just had so much self-hatred and self-loathing and self-critique. And if anyone, and so even more sensitive than I am, like naturally to criticism and my confirmation biases were so strong. Like our confirmation bias is always looking for evidence to confirm what we think is true about the world. So our belief system is really the core thing that we need to work on when we're trying to change anything. But my belief system was I am not good enough and I am not worthy and I am not lovable. And so in that moment in time, I turned any piece of evidence to support those views. So as as you can imagine, my self-esteem was basically non-existent. And what really helped change or challenge my belief systems was learning, was literally reading or audiobooking any book I could find that I thought that was going to be like helpful in changing my perspective on life. And I just, I became a junkie for podcasts like yours and kind of like neuroscience books in, in, in the beginning, because I thought, well, if I could learn how my brain worked, then I would understand how I got myself into this mess. And it's true. I started to learn the fact that I was like on in the fight and flight uh, mode, like all the time. And actually I began to realize that I was so used to being stressed out that when I felt good, I immediately thought something was wrong because I was so unused to that feeling of like, oh yeah, things are okay. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, I think that I then was, I was also in a state of like craving a relationship so much because I felt like, oh, well, if somebody else loved me, then, then, then that would be safety and that would love. And that would like, that would help prove my belief systems wrong. But the problem is, is that when we are in that state, we can, we're really highly susceptible and vulnerable to like falling for people that are probably not the healthiest for our mental state. And so I literally had a street. I just, I I would honestly find one narcissist in the room of a thousand. (laughs) I was literally like a narcissist magnet (laughs) Um, because I would in a way idolize and cherish and I admire their confidence and thought, oh, wow, like that's so inspiring. But as we know, as for, you know, I'm sure everyone is is familiar with narcissists, like as we know, that also comes from a broken place um, and they're overcompensating. And so it was really through taking the time to learn. And I remember that, you know, reading that quote from the ancient Greeks thousands of years ago, they, they said, you know, like one of the most powerful things we can do is know thyself. And when I just started to sit there and slow down and really take the time to have that self-awareness of why am I doing these things? Why do I feel these certain ways? And also have that, bring that compassion in by saying, okay, I understand that. I understand where that comes from, that need for love. And that's totally normal. But rather than looking in my external environment to find it, how could I nurture myself and give that acceptance to myself. And, you know, these things don't happen overnight, but, um, through breath work, that was amazing for me when I went to my first breath work class. Oh my God. I cried for about five hours because I had got so good at suppressing, so good at suppressing, putting a smile on my face and suppressing how I felt that breath work is like, they say 40 years of therapy and 40 years, 40 years of therapy and 40 minutes. And it like, you're forced to like breathe all these feelings up and allowing ourselves to emote, like allowing myself to cry and allowing myself to, you know, be in pain. And that was really where it started. I love breath work for its ability to bring emotions to the surface. I love whether it's yoga or breath work or just like active meditations in a way, like a way to to get out of my own head and not think about a to-do list, but really to, to get into those emotions. So, so breath work was your first tool. What do you continue to use regularly to stay in touch with your emotions and what you truly want, um, which is being present and going into yourself to create that joy? Dancing, 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 and more dancing. I can't express how much dancing has literally been my therapy for years. And 
the reason why I love it so much is because when we were, it reminds me of being that joyful, curious, in love child. Because when we're little, we dance around, we don't care what anyone thinks, we move our bodies in weird directions. And for me, like, oh God, moving my hips, releasing all the energy from my hips. And like, it, I have zero skill. But yeah, I love it so much. And I'm not much of a runner, but I was struggling to keep to my meditation practice. And I built, obviously I built a meditation app and I love meditation. I love visualizations. Um, so powerful as, you know, it's almost like it's, it's. Um, oh, so I, re- I read somewhere else the other day, uh, Dr. James uh, Dotty calls it uh, soul traveling. Visualizations are like soul traveling. And you're able, you know, you allow your subconscious to bring up all these different images that can be so powerful in understanding how you feel right now. But um, when I was struggling with, you know, just, rem- just sitting down for my meditation practice, my brain was being very busy. I really got into doing like a 20 minute run meditation. And I found that it provided the same benefits. I was focusing on my breath. It was very structured. It was kind of structured in a way. And I found that incredibly therapeutic, but at least having half an hour every single day to either dance, either run yoga. I love when you can combine so many things into one practice um, because I find that kind of, it's like a full car wash. Definitely. What you talk about in your book is like staying on the positive radio station, like having this time for yourself so you can stay in the present and avoid perfectionism and be resilient and having that time, making that time a non-negotiable is I think a goal for everyone. We just, we need to have that time to, so that we can show up the best version of ourselves. So we can take that pause and go through your four C's or take a minute for ourselves and not be as reactive. You talk a lot about perfectionism. You talk a lot about resilience. Can you explain kind of what your personal journey with perfectionism look like and where you are with it today? It's definitely an ongoing process because what I had to also do is almost become a, I had to unravel my perfectionism, even when it came to like wellness. I think it's really easy for perfectionism. You're able to kind of dismantle perfectionism on one side of your life. Like for example, I was able to dismantle it when it came to my career but then it turned up another part of my life. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's kind of sneaky how, because at the root of perfectionism is a sense of control and us needing to feel safe. And so it's kind of it's a daily practice just to recognize where I'm being a bit of an over-perfectionist and where I'm trying to control too much. Um, and again, like just meeting that with compassion, being like, okay, so you're feeling a bit insecure. That's totally normal. Like, let's just sit with that for a moment and look into why. And just recognizing it allows us to be so much kinder towards these coping mechanisms that, as I said, they only are created because at, and at some level they're trying to keep us safe. But the 12 year old me that wants to be perfect isn't necessarily keeping the 31-year-old me safe. It's a daily compassionate practice of just recognizing and then being kind to myself and knowing that everything is far more fun when it's not perfect. (laughs) That is the truth. So what about the external forces that give us the pressure to be perfect? Do you suggest boundaries around things like social media or like, how are, how are you, how should people kind of create a life in which, or start to use the vocabulary to have compassion with themselves? And, and are there, you know, I just, I mean, you're very passionate about like the mental health needs of young people. And I look at the kind of like fueling this perfectionistic part of us and how social media plays a part in the, in that, like, what do you, what's your advice around boundaries with social media and protecting the, the mental health of our youth? I think it's, there's no one rule because obviously we all know everything kind of like has 
you know, has, I guess, its benefit. And that's why we still use these things. But at the same time, when we slow down and take that pause, we're much more able to actually listen to our intuition. And our intuition is always talking to us. But the problem I find anyway is when I'm too much in my stressed radio station, I literally cannot hear what is good for me and what is not, what is not making me feel good and what is, and I go into overdrive. So for me, it's, and that's why like having your 20 minute walk or doing your yoga practice or doing your meditation or whether it's just taking a long bath or, you know, if you've got kids just even taking like a minute to belly breathe, like whatever that may be for you, is just listening to what feels good and what doesn't. And I do think our intuition is just so intelligent. It's always guiding the way. And often I find that my anxiety shows up when I'm not listening to it. So I'm like, oh God, I'm feeling anxious today. And it's because my intuition is like, stop, like, like you're not doing the right thing. You're not on the right path there. Like, like we're trying to tell you. And, you know, for whatever reason, we're kind of scared to make those decisions like recently I had that, I was, you know, I was feeling kind of like uncomfortable. I was like, why, why, why? And, um, you know, social media was starting to trigger and like trigger me a bit. And I thought, God, I have never really found such a problem with social media, but it's because I just hadn't like heeded my own advice and like slow down and listen to my intuition and make maybe some difficult decisions. And then suddenly when I felt better about myself, I'm like, social media doesn't bother me anymore. So I often think that social media can be a mirror to like what really is going on internally for ourselves, um, so actually it can be kind of a helpful tool, I guess. But also, I mean, obviously, like I'm sure the same old sort of same old sort of advice, which is like too much of anything is always going to slightly make us sick. And all, I really try to not use social media first thing in the morning because that practice, psychological practice of observing other people's lives before just checking in our on our own, like that isn't really healthy. And if you think about that, doing that every single day for wait, how many years we're subconsciously reinforcing to ourselves that other people's lives are more important than our own. And in those like tired waking states, like our wise brain maybe hasn't switched on yet. And so as a consequence, we can fall into the traps of believing that other people's highlights reels are real. We can fall into the trap of like looking just at a pinprick moment and assuming that that is a representation for their whole life. But I always like to remind myself, like someone's, you know, not that I actually like I'm someone who I actually am not particularly a jealous person. But, you know, if you're kind of jealous about someone's like post about something or other, like I always remind ourselves like that we've got no idea what's happening underneath the surface. Like if anybody looked at my social media during the times of me trying to like be the super happy TV host, it was, as I write in the book, like duck syndrome. I was just trying to glide, but underneath the water, I was like paddling for dear life. So in terms of like looking after our children's mental health, I think it's just like constantly reminding ourselves that it's it's a facade. It's such an illusion. And and for us, and the only thing that's real is is what our intuition is telling us and how we feel about something. So how do you tune in to your intuition when you start to feel like maybe something something's deeper is going on for you. Like, I love the example that your social media is a mirror of kind of maybe what's happening for you outside of social media, like what's happening in your life at that given moment. How do you practice tuning into your intuition more? Well, I think it's, for me, it's been really trying to, even if it's for a week or something, being less social, spending far more time with my own energy. Because I think if you're someone who's susceptible to taking on other people's energy, it's quite difficult to kind of work out what you're thinking and not like what everybody else has kind of like told you, whatever. So allowing yourself to be with yourself is such an important route to listening to that intuition. And also all the tips that we've spoken about in terms of, you know, asking yourself, like labeling how you feel, the diffusion technique, it's all giving you such vital information, paying attention to your emotions. It's giving you such vital information. I love doing morning pages. 
if you can journal just for a couple of pages every single day, or even take note of your dreams, because your dreams are just your subconscious trying to process the day's events. And often we, we are being given clues all the time from life signals. And when we slow down, we're just so much more able to to notice them. And there's one thing that I got told ages ago by like an amazing mentor of mine. And she said, there's no such thing as a coincidence. Every coincidence is a coordinated incidence. And it's really, I think, kind of like stems from Carl Jung's work. But that has really reigned so true. When you start to realize that nothing's a coincidence, it's amazing what kind of the signs life is pointing towards. That's a powerful way to end. So we're going to end on that thought because I think it's really powerful people to think that anything that they think is a coincidence is actually a calling to action maybe. So thank you for writing this beautiful book. Thank you for being here and for creating an easy strategy to have flexible thinking. I'm going to try my best to diffuse drama over here with my family and clients and friends. And I'm going to hopefully help everyone who's tuning in do the exact same thing. Poppy, thank you so much for your time. Where can people follow along? Where can they find you? Where can they learn to be happy, not perfect? Oh, it's been such a pleasure chatting to you. You have such lovely, warm and calming energy. So it's a total delight. But just you can find me on Instagram at Poppy Jamie. And there you'll find out about kind of events and stuff like that in um, coming up. And, and then you can find the book Happy Not Perfect anywhere, kind of at any kind of bookstore. And yeah, and I just love to hear from anyone who's read the book or if anything resonated. And there's loads of exercises in the book that you can fill out uh, to help you stretch your mindset and become flexible and release the past and step into your future. So it's uh, it's kind of like super practical. And I guess like the exercises really kind of aim to answer your last question even more depth is like getting in tune with our wildest, most unconditioned, true intuition. Oh, so timely for you to have written this book. Everyone needs it right now, especially emerging back out of the pandemic. So thank you for, for taking this time because it's exactly what we need. Thank you so much, Kelly. Thank you for listening to Be Well by Kelly. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Learn more at bewellbykelly.com and follow me on Instagram at bewellbykelly. I would love if you picked up my books, Body Love and Body Love Every Day. They're sold on Amazon and at all major booksellers. 